we're going to talk about this morning is that he modeled what true greatness is. What is greatness? He did it. He showed it, and he modeled it for his disciples, and he modeled it for us. Before we get into the word, I want to uh, sort of give you a, a lead-in to a short video we're going to watch here in a moment. And uh, it's a video clip of the movie Bucket List. And you might not have history on it, so I want to give you a little setup. In this movie, two men from completely different lives find that they only have a couple months to live, and they're walking together. And the lead, the, the, the lead actors are Morgan Freeman, who was uh, like a car mechanic and uh, was you know, married and had a lot of kids, uh, was one side. And then beside him in the bed was Jack Nicholson, who spent his whole life making money and being uh, successful in the eyes of the world, but left a just devastation blow to his family and friends all around him. And so the, the premise is, in this thing, is they created a bucket list of things to do before they passed. And so this clip will uh, sort of address that, and we'll go on from there. Dear Edward, I've gone back and forth the last few days trying to decide whether or not I should even write this. In the end, I realized I would regret it if I didn't. So here goes. I know the last time we saw each other, we weren't exactly hitting the sweetest notes. Certainly wasn't the way I wanted the trip to end. I suppose I'm responsible. And for that, I'm sorry. But in all honesty, if I had the chance, I'd do it again. Virginia said I left a stranger and came back a husband. I owe that to you. There's no way I can repay you for all you've done for me. So rather than try, I'm just going to ask you to do something else for me. Find the joy in your life. You once said you're not everyone. Well, that's true. You're certainly not everyone. But everyone is everyone. My pastor always says, our lives are streams flowing into the same river towards whatever heaven lies in the mist beyond the falls. Hello, sweetie. Hi. Find the joy in your life, Edward. My dear friend, close your eyes and let the waters take you home. Sorry. Uh, sorry about that. Our family is in the midst of that right now. And 
what was so touching about this movie is Jack Nicholson had never made things right with his daughter. And in his friend passing away, he got the, he mustered the energy up to go and to be reconciled. Now, the ministry of Oasis, we want to be reconciled, make disciples who are reconciled to God and one another. And so we see in the life of Jesus someone who reconciled relationships. In this text we're getting ready to read, Jesus was a week away from his death. He was a week away. He was heading from the Sea of Galilee, going up towards Jerusalem, down geographically, but up uh, elevation-wise. They walked up, and Jesus was leading here. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, we're going to start reading, and it said, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to them. So if you have notes or taking notes, there are going to be seven R's here. Seven R's. We're going to start one with the reality. And these, next, these verses where Jesus gives the reality of his situation and what it's going to do. It's the third time that he had to die. The first two were each one sort of incrementally more information got uh, told to them. And here we see that Jesus was walking ahead of them. So Jesus wasn't cowering behind. Imagine if you were walking to, you know, an electric chair or something, just hesitant about it. Jesus was walking ahead of them. He had it in his mind that he was driven to go and do his Father's will and head to the cross. And it said that the people around him were amazed and they were also afraid. And taking the 12 again, remember this is what he would do. He would get them and he would talk to them. He began to tell them what was to happen. Verse 33, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. This is pretty clear. There's nothing hard to figure out here. But again, have you ever been with someone and they're hearing the truth of a situation and they really don't understand it? I think the disciples, they're being told the truth, but they're just not getting it. They're not receiving it. They're not listening completely. But part of this is, and it's an odd thing for them, that Jesus was going to be delivered to the Gentiles. So if you were to just picture, the Jews did not have the ability or the authority, and maybe they had the ability to have Jesus crucified. They could not have him killed. They, it was not able for them to do that. So they put it on someone else. It's almost like a scapegoat. They went and they put that burden on someone else. You remember Pontius Pilate? He washed his hands free from it because he didn't want the burden of it. They placed him, the scribes and the chief priests, they condemned him to death by delivering him to the Gentiles. Verse 34, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, you would think that this would be sad news marked by exciting news if they were paying attention. 
He's going to be, all these horrific things are going to happen, and then he will rise. Some people like to say that these things were added after the fact that uh, his, you know, the people who were following him wrote all these things afterwards to make him sound prophetic. But Jesus could have known all these things without supernatural influence just by the knowledge of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was clear that the Son of God, the Messiah, would come and that he would be beaten and scourged and that they would be killed and then at three days he would rise. So you would think that, again, man, they're going to be, this is sad news, but this is great news, verse 35. So we have uh, the reality and now we have the request. So the R's, reality, second one's request. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, let me just say, you ever had a little, little kid come up to you? I've got something I want. You know, would you just say yes before I ask from it? You know, and even though you might think it's cute, you know, most of us sane adults can go, no way in the world am I going to give you whatever you want. And if you've done that, you're crazy because it's a trap. You know, and so they, they come up, James and John, these aren't outsiders. These aren't people that don't love Jesus. These aren't people who aren't unaware. These aren't just newly uh, just saved yesterday people. They were the inner circle of Jesus. You have Peter, James, and John. So James and John came and asked Jesus, would you do something for us? Jesus responds in 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. I mean, really? This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to ask Jesus, that you will have prominence and glory by being beside Jesus. So they knew he was special. They knew he was uh, the son of God. They knew this, and so they wanted position. And we can look at that and laugh, but the truth of us is parts of our life, we've all fought for position and uh, glory of our own. There is inside us a desire for glory, a desire to be recognized. And so they were putting Jesus on the spot and asking for this. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am, I am baptized? He says this, are you able in essence, what Jesus is saying is that you have no idea what you are asking, and there is no way that you could deal with what I'm going to deal with. And on the outward part, you look ahead and you see what uh, most of the disciples went through. Even John, the only one that survived and lived till the end, he went through great, horrific, they went through horrific things. They suffered greatly. But the greatest suffering is this, Jesus who was God and had in relationship with God when he went to the cross and he looked into it and he looked to the Father and says, why hast thou forsaken me? 
They would never know what it's like to be forsaken from their father, their heavenly father. I want to say if you're in Christ right now, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that there is uh, no experience that will separate you from the love of God. If you are indeed a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, we're going to get into what that looks like, that you will not be rejected by the Father. You might not see his face sometimes. You might see clouds sometimes. You will experience suffering, but you will never be turned on by the living God. This is good news. This is great news. You have no idea what you're asking. Are you able to do what I'm going to do? And in essence, he was saying too, are you able to live a sinless life? Are you able to do what I have done? Are you able to fulfill prophecy? All they wanted was the glory. So Jesus gave him a refusal. There's your third one, I believe, the refusal. Jesus said no in a nice way. Verse 39, and they said to him, we are able They said to Jesus that they are able to do what he did, was going to do. That we will follow you anywhere. We know you go a week ahead, just a short week ahead, and the disciples took off. John was still around some, but they jetted, they left him. Uh, Peter turned away and they you know, denied Christ. But they still said they still had that pride, they still had that arrogance that they were going to be great. And that they could do what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. He was foretelling what they were going to suffer. Now, it's easy to separate you and me from this story. It's easy to go, this is 2,000 some years ago, and this is what happened here but Jesus, all through these texts, are talking about discipleship. Discipleship with children, discipleship with adults, discipleship in marriage, discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And here he's going to define what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he tells them that you will be baptized. I want to say this up here. There is no glory without the cross. There is no glory without the cross. Jesus, if he had done everything right but did not go to the cross, there would not be glory there. For you and my life, without there will no, not be glory without the cross. There will not be, Jesus said, take up your cross and do what? Follow him. Each of us has a cross to bear, and inside of us is this sense and desire for glory, but there is no glory without the cross. There is no glory without obediently doing the things that Jesus said to do, following after him and obediently following him. There is no glory without the cross. So now we go to the next star, and it's the restriction, verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus says very clearly, I don't, I don't know who's going to sit there. You know, at this point in time, Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. There were some things that were revealed to him that he knew. There were other things that were hidden, much like to us. 
To him, it was irrelevant. It was God's thing that he would trust God who's going to be sitting there, and it wasn't his business. So the restriction was, it is not mine. It is for whom it was prepared. And then we see the next star, resentment, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. You ever seen kids fighting over toys? You know, you give one of them an iPad now. We're going to get, get in, you know, in our context now. They have an iPad. You know, maybe for me it was a slinky or something like that. You know, you give a kid that, and they're playing it, right? And the other kid comes in the room, and they go, oh, that's awesome you have that. I really hope you enjoy playing with it. Is that what you see happening? No. No. No, you'll see that. It's like you either see... Hey, let me, you know, it's like, let me play with that nicely, you know, taking it away nicely. Let me play with that. Or it's going to be, let me play with that and doing a Walter Payton, you know, just pushing away and going, see, I'm enjoying this. You, you should enjoy me playing it too. And so, you know, we do this as adults. When someone gets something that we don't have, we covet it. And we don't, we throw our internal temper tantrums. You know, we look at things and inside we go, I want that. Why did they get that? You know, or maybe you're completely sanctified and in every case you go, man, I am so glad they were blessed that way. They have a great toy. That's awesome. I pray they ought to enjoy it. And that's, that's where we want to head. But this is not where the disciples were. Matter of fact, I believe they were upset with James and John because they didn't ask first. They weren't upset because the question wasn't, you know, outside of their realm. The question was asked by someone else first. Like the kid that comes up and asks for the cookie first. There's three cookies and four children. This is my home. Right? Three cookies, four children. And the first one that asked, can I have a cookie what are the next questions going to be? You know, in our house, it was like, mom or dad, can I please have a cookie? Right? And immediately following, you know, times four, hey, mom or dad, can I please have a cookie? Yeah, sure, you can have a cookie. Hey, mom or dad, can I please have a cookie? There's only one left. And the last person, whoever that is, is left without a cookie. But they didn't ask first. And so they were fighting over the toy, and they were indignant at James and John. Jesus takes this opportunity to review, to review what has been going on here and to teach a lesson to his disciples. A good parent will take object lessons like the toy or a difficulty and will take the opportunity to make it a teaching time. So another thing that Jesus modeled well, take bad things and make them teaching times. He walked into this situation. He's teaching his disciples. He's telling them they're going to die. He reviews it with them. He's doing all this stuff, and now he is going to just teach them. So he called to them and said to them, you know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he uses the context. He said, you know the rulers right now, they take their power and they use it for control. 
And if you can't see that in America, all across the corporate world, the um, political world, the church world, people take power and run rampant with it unless they are following Jesus' model, which we're going to talk about. So they take control over it. The Gentiles lord it over it. I have control. The tax collectors would lord it over it. You owe this. You pay this now. Everyone would lord what little power they have into it. You've ever seen it with children? There's a pecking order, right? I'm the oldest. You know, maybe the second one, I'm the strongest. You know, then I might be the smartest. And then everyone just tries to find their place. And who always gets the brunt of it? The weaker one. True? You seen that in the business world? The weaker person gets beat up on. So Jesus says, you know how they do this. They exercise their authority. In verse 43, it says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So when I was younger, I was in, when I was in the military, I went to this, this school. And in this school, we had a bunch of people from all, I mean, from all over the military. We had drill sergeants in, like right beside me. We had special forces, Green Beret people there. We had Ranger people there, National All these people were just all there. And it came time to clean the toilets. Now, just let me tell you the truth of the matter. I am not one who likes to clean toilets. Just, just not my thing, right? And I'm looking at this guy. He's my team leader. He's a staff sergeant. He's got a, he's got a Green Beret. He's been there, done that. And as soon as the word came out, we need one team to go clean the toilets. He was like, all right, God, let's go. And I, I literally, I almost stalled in my place watching him. Without missing a beat, he went and he grabbed the brushes. And let's go, guys. He didn't pick up the brushes and go, here, specialist, take your you know, toilet sponge and go clean out the toilet. He picked it up, and he expected everyone else to follow. He led by example. Remember Jesus going to Jerusalem? He led up front. This guy, he led from the front. He was willing to do, and do instead of saying everything. Instead of saying he was a leader, he demonstrated he was a leader. Whoever shall be first among you must be slave of all. Have you seen that in your life? Have you seen that often in the context of your, your lives with people? That they enjoy, they want to serve everyone, and they want to be, and you, I don't have time to unpack slave here, but that they want to be slave to all. Can you have the experience? I know you have. Who's had an experience of someone that's done that well? You don't have to use names, but who have you seen in your life? Just a reference. Who served well? Your mom? That's awesome. Just serve, I've seen it. Just serve, unloving, I mean, un, um, what is the word I was looking for? Unsolicited, just love, agape love, just serving. Someone else. Maybe examples from history. Who have you seen as served? Mother Teresa, that's a, there, I think we said in unison there. Mother Teresa, what made her special? What, what makes that special? Yes. 
Servant heart by doing what? Serving, I know, but I mean... By doing things that no one else wanted to do and humble. And what was she looking for in return? Glorify God? Yeah. Glorify God and nothing else. I don't care if I'm poor. Nothing else. Serve God. Give of myself and nothing else. Great example. Who else? Say again. Peg Hosker. Yes, I do know her. Some of you know her here. Definitely, I would say that. But do you find it interesting that it's not like we're just all like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I've got all these examples. All these examples. These people are always selfless. Now, I'm not meaning that to be um, like that it's disconcerting, but I think that we have bought the American model of leadership and what it means to be in control and what it means to be in charge and that we enforce it over people and stuff like that. But the true model is when we love and we serve one another joyfully, when we give of of ourselves. Now, let me say, apart from Jesus, there are, I had this quote, and you all figure out if it's right or not, it says, there are no unselfish motives or, or deeds. There is nothing done Within a, in a human without some selfishness involved. That's probably true. But for the people that you mentioned, these are people who gave of themselves without expecting return. Jesus did this. He gave of himself freely. He put up with the disciples. He didn't lose his mind. And maybe if he began to get frustrated, he gave us the model where he would separate and get before the Lord and he would pray for them. He loved them unconditionally right where they were. What would you do in Jesus' place if people came up and said, I want to sit here and here? <laughs> i tell you what I would do. They'd be sitting on the whole backside. They'd be in the hallway somewhere. But Jesus had patience with them. He understood them. And he used this to teach. He said, so it shall not be among you. The way that the Jews are doing it, the way that the Gentiles are doing it, the way that maybe some good fishermen and carpenters are doing it, this shall not be among you. You will be servants. Who's excited about that? I mean, I didn't hear a bunch of amens. Yeah, I want to serve. I am excited to serve. But this is Jesus' model. 45 says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of Man came to serve. What does it mean he gave a ransom? He gave his life. The Holy Spirit is the deposit that has bought our freedom. Jesus was going to the cross on his journey to Jerusalem. He was going to pay. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Those who God, before uh, the beginning of time that God worked all this out, Jesus came and he lived his life and he lived it sacrificially and he didn't live for it a claim, a claim of life, but he lived it as a ransom. He gave it over as a ransom. That is what our Jesus did. But oftentimes, in some t- and then sometimes I'm guilty of this, 
we talk about all the negative part of what the disciples did, but there is also going to be a reward. There's your other R, a reward. Romans 8, 16 through 18 says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, that's, that all sounds great, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Provided we suffer with him and will be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Without the cross, there is not glory. Without suffering, there is not glory. Jesus died so that we would be children of God and heirs in Christ Jesus. So my question this morning, what did Jesus do? He modeled what it is to sacrificially lead. He modeled true greatness. Did he model it so that we could just see it and do nothing and just go, yeah, Jesus. Is that, is that why he did it? So he could get the, you know, y'all come praise me now. Why did he do it? As a model for us. He is our model. We are to emulate him. We are to be disciples that follow him. So the reality was, in review, the, the reality was that Jesus was going to die. The request was, is that we want to sit next to you. We want glory without the cross. Jesus refused them, saying they don't know what they're asking. Then he restricted them by saying only God knows who's going to sit there. And then the disciples resented the two disciples, James and John, because they even asked. Then Jesus took a difficult situation and reviewed with them as a teaching tool and also began to expose that there's going to be a reward. This morning, what is on your bucket list? If you had, going back to the movie, three months to live, would it be about catching the biggest fish or going to, one of, one of the lists was going to Stonehenge, going on a cruise, going, you know, here, there, and everywhere? What would be on your bucket list? Jesus had a week to live. His bucket list was building disciples, modeling true greatness for disciples, and drawing them in to understand what true greatness is. Are you going to follow his example this morning? It's an old hymn that I used to sing as a kid in church with my dad. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm, gonna try, I'm even going to sing. Can you all turn the recording off? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Heavenly Father, as we have seen in your word Jesus' example of true greatness, Lord, if in our lives there is areas of repentance that is needed to be had, Lord, I pray that we repent for the ways that the world has not been behind us. Lord, we just acknowledge the things that have held us us tied down and anchored us to the things of the world, Lord. Maybe uh, it's things that we didn't even know until this morning. And Lord, we've been pursuing our glory and not the cross. There is no glory without the cross. The world behind me, the cross before me. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Doesn't matter what our spouse, what our family, what our neighbors say, that we say there's no turning back from you, Jesus. Jesus, we just love you. Do you love him this morning, church? Have you decided to follow him? This morning, as you come to communion, I just pray that in your heart that you would release the tentacles of the world and say, Jesus, I am just choosing you again this morning. I am choosing the cross. I am embracing the suffering that you've laid before me, and I'm going to trust you with it because I know your glory will follow. I know that I don't need to have all the answers right now. But Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Do you stand with me as we come to communion and remember King Jesus? Please come.